Hey, Ken, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing well. It has been an interesting several weeks. You've had a you had a concert and all this other stuff. You were you were actually organizing the concert down in New Orleans. Uh, I helped with the website. I'm I'm the webmaster. The webmaster. Of this, Ken Allen, the webmaster of the Samantha Fish Cigar Box Guitar Festival. Oh, Samantha Fish, she is something. No kidding, man. <laughs> what are we going to talk about today, Brett? What we're talking I tell you what we're talking about. They were talking about crime today. You know, oh, I'm a legal guy these days. Right. But every now and then I get a little temptation going on. Mm-hmm. And that temptation, what I usually do is I try to write a blog about it, do a podcast about it, whatever I need to do to get rid of that temptation. Today's temptation has to do with unclaimed property. Unclaimed property. Now, let's see. In Alabama, they've got an unclaimed baggage store. Is that what we're talking about? No, sir, we are not. So unclaimed property. And I pulled up this website, unclaimed.org. And all of our listeners will need to know this because they'll need to go to this website as well. So unclaimed.org, what exactly is unclaimed property is the question that it poses on the website. The answer is unclaimed or abandoned property refers to property or accounts within financial institutions or companies in which there has been little to no activity generated or contact with the owner regarding the property for one year or longer. What happens is, is that property that the bank holds, if it's a safety deposit box, whatever, uh, say it's a deposit at an electric company or stock dividends or any number of things like that, if the account has not been used in a set amount of time, the proceeds from that account, whether it be dollars or jewelry or what have you, that is then sent to the state treasurer's office in that specific state. The state treasurer's office holds it in the unclaimed property vault or account until the rightful owner comes and gets it. So, may I interject? Yes, you may. I know uh, of a case of that where it was not a cash or jewelry uh, property. What was it? It was before, let me see, before 2013. It was Cuban cigars. Cuban cigars. You know, uh, I used to pay $400 a box. Well, this, this fella uh, <laughs> used to pay quite a bit of money to get Cuban cigars, um, oh. and he would order them through a company, and they said, well, if custom stops them, just, you know, uh, I'll refund your money. Not bad. Okay. So uh, customs actually called him and said, we have uh, a package for you, and I think the contents uh, Cuban cigars. You can come down here and sign for them. Really? Did yeah. he go down and sign for it? Oh, he did not. I would I would no, not do that either. No, no, no. I would say I did not order those. That's not my package. Yeah, not my package. <laughs> <laughs> we hear that a lot on the dark web with the drug trafficking and everything. You know, the USPS will call someone and say, hey, we've got your package down here. We're holding it for you. Why don't you come pick it up? And only an idiot at that point goes down and picks up their drugs. Exactly. <laughs> so what – here's the thing. I have been – I wouldn't call it sexually excited, but I have been excited on unclaimed property since before, before I actually started in cybercrime over 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. I've always had this thing about unclaimed property. And as I got engaged in cybercrime, I kept writing these tutorials because, you know, I ran Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was this learning, this teaching, this educational environment where you taught criminals how to be better criminals and you provided the products to them. 
Well, when I was running Shadow Crew, you know, I did the tax scam, the tax return identity theft. And the other idea that I always had was how to defraud state treasurer's offices on their unclaimed property. <laughs> now, the problem back then, and, and basically the way you do that, and I've got a couple of news articles I'll talk about in a second that I pulled up. But the way you do that is, first of all, somewhere between 30% to 60% of every single American has some sort of unclaimed property out there. Now, most of it is, you know, a couple of dollars, something like that. But there are accounts that range a couple of million dollars. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there going, okay, so we've got that many Americans with unclaimed property. Across the United States, it's estimated about $60 billion total right wow. now. Wow, okay? that's a lot of money. So you've got all these Americans out there. How many Americans know they have this unclaimed property? Not too damn many. Very few, as a matter of fact, because the state treasurer's offices, they're not really good about searching out the owners. They want the owners to come to them. Now, they may post something every now and then in a newspaper of an unclaimed property list and everything, but you got to comb through your and try to find your name and everything else, and it gets even worse. Say you do have unclaimed property. How do you go about If you're the legitimate owner... How do you go about getting it? Well, what the state wants you to do is they want you to first verify your identity. So you have to send in a copy of your driver's license and social security card. That's step one. Step two, you have to prove that that account is associated with you. So say it's a rent deposit. So you lived in an apartment 20 years ago. You paid a $500 deposit for rent. You just didn't get it back. That deposit goes to the state treasurer's office. For you to get that deposit back from the state treasurer's office, what does the state treasurer want? They want a lease agreement proving that you were at that address during that point in time. <laughs> Do you have any lease agreements from 20 years ago? I can barely remember 20 years ago. Yeah, nobody has that. <laughs> so a lot, of these, a, lot of the, a lot of the people who are legitimate owners... They may even know they have unclaimed property. Most of them don't. 90% plus, most people don't know they have unclaimed property. But even if they do, to try to get that property back legitimately is extremely difficult. For example, I have $1,400 sitting in the Kentucky State Treasurer's Office of Unclaimed Property. Now, that $1,400 comes from PayPal. When I was a criminal, I was defrauding a lot of people using PayPal. PayPal kept shutting down accounts. PayPal actually confiscated about $20,000 that I had, but only $1,400 of it ended up in the unclaimed property division. Now, I have no interest in getting that because I, I obtained it illegally. But even if I wanted to get it, I couldn't because I can no longer prove that I was at that address during that point in time. And that becomes the entire issue. The thing is, though, if you're a criminal like I used to be, how would I go about getting that? Well, it's easy enough to fabricate a fake driver's license. It's easy enough to fabricate a Social Security card. And it's really easy to fabricate a lease agreement or something saying that you were at that address or associated with that account 20 years ago. Now, the problem then, now this is during the Shadow Crew days when I started talking about this, and I preached about this stuff religiously. This is exactly what we need to do because the people don't know their victims. You can get away with all the money. The state treasurer's offices have absolutely no security. This is where we need to be, guys. The problem was, first of all, the fake ID. That was the big thing right there. Because back then, to get a fake ID, you had to either steal someone's ID or they'd ship you their ID. You'd sit down with Photoshop. You'd create a template, take 
take a long time because you had to build fonts from scratch and everything else. So once you got through with that, now we're just talking about you're sending a scan in so you don't have to print it out. But you still got to have that hologram, so you got to build the hologram. You got to make it look multi-spec and everything else. Usually it got pretty difficult to do that. Hard to do that. So the chances of, of using a fake ID back then to get to defraud a specific state, very difficult to do that. Nowadays, though, that game has changed completely. Nowadays, you can go to a site like secondisolution.ch. You can order scans of all 50 states, their driver's licenses, which look exactly like they're supposed to look. That costs $30. You can use that. You can get a scan of a Social Security card for another $10. A utility bill is $10 or $15. So for under $100, you've got every single document forged that you would need to submit to the state treasurer's office. So what got me on this, of course, is I, you know, I, I'm consulting now and speaking and everything else. What got me on this, this, and I won't say what got me, what gave me a hard on about it, but it is, it kind of borders on this sexual excitement type stuff. I'm like, oh, I love it. What got me though is I was, I started researching fake identities today, fake driver's licenses today, and I realized that oh, well now these tools are in place that would allow someone to defraud state treasurer's offices. So what I did was, is I was like, you know, I wonder if anyone is out there actually doing this right now. Guess what? <laughs> a couple of people have been convicted of this already. So I pulled up a couple of articles. Uh, one of the articles is a couple that was arrested in what state are they in? Florida, of course. Why not Florida? They defrauded the Florida state treasurer's office of $733,000. Hmm. By submitting fraudulent documents to collect unclaimed property that were did not belong to them, they even got some. You know what a shelf corporation is or not? Uh, no. So when a, a corporation is basically a a person, right? Right. So when when a corporation goes out of business, the corporation does not die. It's just placed on the shelf of whatever state it's in. Okay. So you can buy shelf corporations in Nevada, Delaware, all these other states, and and. Basically, they sit on the shelf. They're still kind of alive. You can buy it and take over the corporation. All right? So these two fraudsters decided they wanted to buy some of these corporations, start them back up. The corporations just happened to have unclaimed property at the state treasurer's office. Now, they got caught with that. And the way they got caught, they were sloppy. They didn't put the same uh, uh, board members on the corporation or anything else like that. They changed the address of the corporation, all this other stuff. So they were sloppy. They got caught. But... From a criminal point of view, what does that tell me? That tells me that shit works. That's the only thing. They got caught. Sure, that's just a problem. You can fix that. But they got caught, but it still works. The other article that I picked up, and I like this one too, this is in California, because why not? It's always California and Florida. The headline, Father and Son Charged with Stealing $1.6 million dollars in unclaimed funds from dozens of Californians. How did they do it? By submitting fraudulent fake documents. So I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, man, you could make a lot of money right now on that. So the reason I'm talking about it on the podcast today, I had reached out. Now, I've, been, I've had this, this thing going on with unclaimed property for the better part of 2019. I reached out to the press 
the press was very excited about this. Very excited. They were going to, they were talking about putting it on USA Today, uh, yeah, the USA Today newspaper and everything else like that. The press guy, he goes and starts asking around about it. So I walk him through the entire process and everything. He goes and asks around about it. He comes back to Brett Johnson and he says, Brett, you know, there is some interest in it. But at the same time, I was told that I might want to leave that alone. I wonder why. Well, the reason he might want to leave it alone, he was told that to report something like that may result in you getting audited because state treasurer's offices would not like that shit at all. Right. So I'm like, that's all right. I'll handle it when I start season two of Anglerfish. So that's why we're opening season two with this episode. And who are we going to interview today? Today we're interviewing the head of marketing or the vice president of marketing for Jumio, an identity verification company. So just to walk you through it, state treasurer's offices now, by and large, they look at four things with security in order to determine if someone is submitting a fraudulent form or fraudulent uh, claim. Those four things, they look at the IP address, they look at the email address, they look at what's called velocity, and they look at the browser. Those four things. That, if, if any company on the planet, merchant, retailer, what have you, if that was the only thing they were looking at to stop fraud, they would not be in business for long. Because a criminal has been able to circumvent all four of those things since I was a criminal. So they haven't figured out how to solve the problem. Yet. They have not. So the reason I bring in, I'm bringing in Jumio, it occurred to me, you know, what would actually help is if these state treasurer's offices signed on to one of these companies that's able to look at a driver's license or a document and see if it's fraudulent. They use these AI algorithms, everything else to do that. Jumio is one of the biggest companies that does this. They do a fine job and everything like that. And I'm like, you know, hey. Let's talk to them, see what they think about it. So today, we're interviewing Dean Nichols of Jumio. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast where we navigate the dark waters of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Season one of Anglerfish tells the story of my rise and fall as the original internet godfather and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to now being focused on protecting people from the type of person I used to be. This second season of the Anglerfish podcast dives into the deepest, darkest waters of our online lives. We'll be discussing fraud and financial cybercrime, sure, but also human trafficking, drugs, cyberbullying, fake news, extremist groups, nation-state attacks, child pornography, and more. Anglerfish believes shedding light on the darkest parts of the Internet helps us to better understand the problems and find solutions instead of living in a world of fear. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast. And today on the Anglerfish Podcast, we have Dean Nichols, Vice President of Marketing at Jumio. Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate you having me. It's been a while, huh? I've not. Uh, when was the last time we saw each other? 
probably at least eight or nine months at RSA. It's been a while. It has. I'll tell you why, why I invited you on, Dean. Um, so when I was a criminal back in the, well, actually, I was a criminal up until 2011, 2012. But in the early to mid-2000s, I had this thing about unclaimed property. So unclaimed property, and, and I'm sure you know what it is, too. When someone has an account, bank account, stocks, dividends, a PayPal account, anything else like that, when they have this account and it goes dormant, either after a year or more, what happens is the company, the financial institution, they convert that to cash. They send that to the state treasurer's office where the state treasurer then holds it in their unclaimed property division until the rightful owner comes up and gets it. Now, my thing was, and here's the stats that I've got. I mean, you look at the stats now, it's somewhere between... 32 billion and 60 billion dollars worth of unclaimed property throughout all 50 states. Somewhere between 10% to 50% of all Americans have some form of unclaimed property. Of course, they don't know that. So as a criminal, my mind back then was like, you know, I wonder how hard it would be to actually go in, submit fraudulent documents and claim someone else's unclaimed property. They don't know they've got it. They don't know they would be a victim of stolen funds. The state treasurer's office, they're probably not very good at doing any type of security at all because they're a state government. So how difficult could that be? Back then, I couldn't do that because, honestly, fake IDs, they were not very good. I mean, back then, when we made a fake ID, we would have to steal a real driver's license or have someone send us their driver's license. We'd sit down with Photoshop. We'd come up with a template, create our own fonts have to create, have to create the, the hologram because we didn't have multi-spectrum. So you couldn't even use that state's ID in that state. So it was something that just wouldn't work then. But now, of course, what we're seeing is that, at least to the naked eye, state driver's licenses are pretty darn good. I wouldn't hesitate at all if I were a criminal now to walk into a bank and hand a teller. So I'm in the state of Alabama. I wouldn't mind at all handing a teller in the state of Alabama a fake Alabama driver's license. So that's my thing now is, you know, and I've been researching this, these state treasurer's offices, they really don't have great security even now. So it shouldn't be very hard to defraud state treasurer's offices of unclaimed property. And that, my friend, is where I came up and I said, you know, I know Dean over at Jumio, they do this ID verification, which would probably solve a lot of that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Maybe I'll just give a quick overview of who Jumio is. So you're Please, uh, tell, yeah, tell us who you are and who, what Jumio does as well. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I, I head up marketing at Jumio. Uh, we're the global leader in online identity verification. So we're in the business of determining if someone is who they claim to be online. So it's a natural, I think mean, it's natural that you and I are talking on, on this subject. And, you know, one of the things I found about interesting about unclaimed property is it's actually a whole um, variety of different kinds of assets. So it's it's not everything you said, but it, it's bank accounts, it's stocks, it's bonds, right. it's uncashed checks, it's insurance benefits, it's safety deposit box contents. It's like everything under the sun, right? And as you mentioned, it's you know forty to fifty billion dollars of, of property that are out there sitting, waiting to be taken. And so I think it is a real problem, and I think it's a real problem because many of these uh, state controllers' offices don't often have. The, the resources to know what's legitimate and what's not. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, when I was, uh, so of course, you know, I've been a criminal up until the past, you know, six or seven years. And when I was doing this, I mean, I, I researched unclaimed property extensively. And back then what would happen is, is you could, you could approach the state treasurer's office and you could buy a list 
of all the unclaimed property for that state. So like the state of Tennessee back in 2004, 2005, they sold an actual microfiche list. So you'd have to find a microfiche machine, but it had a list of all the people. It had the actual dollar amounts that they were owed. And back then there was a big business of, of companies going around trying to find the recipients of unclaimed property. And there were a lot of scams going around. There's still a lot of scams going around today with that. And they would try to charge these people who had unclaimed property a percent. Um, so across the United States now, that percent that companies can charge is now only 10%. But the company has to notify the, uh, the person, the person who has unclaimed property, they have to tell them, hey, you've got, this is from the unclaimed property division for the state office. You can also approach the state office by yourself. You don't have to go through us. So of course that shuts down a lot of those companies and everything. Um, and I, again, it's, it's one of these things where from a criminal mindset, what, what I do is I look for the easiest, the, the path of least resistance. And for me, that is this type of business. You're, you're dealing with victims, the people who are who have unclaimed property, you're dealing with these potential victims. They don't know they're victims. They don't know they have unclaimed property there. At the same time, you're dealing with an institution, the state treasurer's offices that don't have really very good security. And I guess that you, we were talking before we started recording, you actually spent some time looking at the types of security that state treasurer's offices have. Would you like to talk about that a bit? Sure. Um, yeah, Brett. And I, I think the state tre treasurer's um, kind of across the country know that they have a real risk here, right? Um, unfortunately, the kind of the way they're looking at how to solve for that is they might look at specific email addresses, right? Sure. And check to see if that's a valid email address or not. They might track the IP address, um, you know, where the claims originate from. They might look at the browser versions being used, for example. Um, they might even look at how quickly those forms are being filled out. If it's being filled out by a bot, for example, it, it's going to take half of a second to fill out 20 different fields, or it might be all in caps. And those are certainly red flags. But as you know, any fraudster worth his salt can, can get around those kinds of security checks. Those are fairly um, simple ways of identity verification. And sure. So let me, let me recap this. You, so you mentioned, and I, I think I, I, I noted four things there. You mentioned the email. Right. So they're looking at, I guess they can look at email age at, if it's within a, a, concert, a certain consortium of different companies or, or whatever they're looking at. So they can look to see right. may, potentially how old the email address is. They can look at the velocity or how quickly the, that form is submitted, filled out and submitted. They can look at the IP address and then they look at the browser version itself. Right. All these are things that can be done to, to essentially geolocate you. So if you're Steve Brett, you're from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, um, but everything about your IP on the browser says that you're actually in, you know, New Haven, Connecticut. That's a disconnect, right? And that's, right. that would be a red flag. Doesn't probably doesn't disqualify you, but they're probably going to spend a little more attention on that submission than they would others where it's more of a match. Sure. So, but you know, I'm thinking, so there, there are these four things, email, velocity, IP, and browser. There are off the shelf tools. Well, the, the, the email is easy enough. I just go back and I, I can buy an aged email or I can, if I'm looking to really engage in this crime long term, I can start setting up email addresses now and let them age out properly. So that defeats the email. The velocity, I mean, that's just, I don't use a bot. I submit everything by hand and take my time doing that. The IP address, you know, as well as I do, you can spoof IP numbers. There's a website called luxsocks.ru which provides residential IP addresses that you can buy those things for 30 cents a piece. 
So I can do that. And then the browser version, there are off the shelf tools to, to spoof browser versions and everything else. I mean, it's, it seems to me that the security is, is pretty shoddy as far as stopping fraud when it comes, if you're only looking at those four things. So that, and that, that my friend is, is why I was like, you know, I was thinking about it. I'm thinking, okay, obviously one of the things that stops this type of fraud is ID verification services like Jumio. And there's other companies that offer that as well, but you guys are the leader in that. Uh, so I'm thinking, obviously get someone from Jumio to come on here and talk about this. Perhaps, perhaps, who knows? Perhaps we have, we, yeah, we, we may, Brent, we may have a, a different way and a, probably a better way to solve the problem here. And maybe I'll just quickly go into really the three ingredients of what we think is really kind of the right way to do identity verification. Okay. The right, I think the right ingredients is you start with a, a valid government issued ID. And that right. could be a, an ID card, it could be a driver's license, it could be a passport. Um, the second step is, is really taking what we call a video selfie. And then the third element is liveness detection. Let me, I'll walk through each one of those. Okay. So in the case, let's say that we're dealing with Alabama, your home state. Um, if you claimed uh, to be Brett and the way they would do is say, okay, Brett, you're trying to claim this property. You have $1,500 in your name. We would need to make sure that you are in fact, Brett. Right. What they would say, okay, Brett, take a picture either with your smartphone, with your webcam of your Alabama driver's license front and back. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that that's a valid ID. Right? We're going to make sure that it has all the security features, whether it could be watermarks, it could be, um, uh, it could be a variety of security features that are, are baked into every ID that every state has. Uh, we're going to look to make sure the fonts are in the right place, that there are the right fonts. You know, many cases like in California, my home state, you might have date of birth literally in three different places on your ID. We're going to sure. make sure that, those, uh, that that date of birth is in every one of those locations where, where it should be. Um, that, that essentially validates that you have a valid ID. And these are a lot more checks than most people at a, a state treasurer's office are gonna know what to look for because each state has different security features. And even, by the way, each ID, like in California, we might have 20 different IDs. We may have, we may have IDs from four years ago that are still valid, but right. have a different set of security features than what we have today. So you, most humans will not know all the different 20 checks to do against an ID to make sure it's valid. Um, Here's the, the next important ingredient there is the selfie. Now what we do with the selfie is we have the person take a picture of themselves with their phone um, or webcam by positioning their face within an oval and then moving a little closer. It takes that, that amount of time. The benefit of that is within those few seconds we're actually capturing a video. And unlike a still picture of a selfie, what we're able to do is sense liveness. And so this gotcha. is what I talked about liveness detection. So we're looking for micro changes in micro expressions so if I'm Brett and I hold up a picture of me, Dean, we're gonna know right away, wait a second, that's not a live human being, that's actually a picture. If you try to use a deep fake video, which are becoming pretty popular and fairly easy to create these days, we're gonna say, no, well, no, this is not a selfie, this is actually a video. And videos emit certain kinds of light and frequencies that, that our liveness detection can pick up on. Okay. By doing all, passing all three of these checks, you can be pretty confident that, that that Brett from Alabama, Tuscaloosa, is the correct Brett, especially if you're checking the address, right? So another, I think, red flag is if the driver's license says 123 Main Street, but but he's asking for, in this case, you're asking for the, the check to, to be sent somewhere else, that might be a red flag as well. 
So the other thing you could do as another layer of security is perhaps ask for a copy um, of a utility bill, right? Okay. Again, you should have your name and that address on the utility bill should mirror the address on your driver's license, right? Gotcha. If everything is matching. Um, and so the other thing that's really important is if you're a, a fraudster, the last thing you probably want to do, and you can speak to this better than I, is to share your own likeness, your real likeness, with the company that you're looking to defraud. That's true. You, you never want to really show anyone your face if you could avoid it. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. And that's, that, that has a really strong chilling effect, right? And so, and that's super important. We, we find that can deter fraud by as much as, you know, 40, 50, 60%. Right. And so just by every other method that we talked about at the beginning, we talked about email addresses and IP addresses and all that stuff, is if you're a fraudster, I can, I can fake my way around that stuff. And I, I don't need to show my real ID. I don't need to show my real face. And so it's a safe way to defraud the system. Okay. 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 So all that being said, let me ask you this. Have you seen the movie War Games with Matthew Broderick? <laughs> yes, I have. All right. So, you know, there's that one line in there where the computer says, would you like to play a game? So I'll ask you that, Dean. Would you like to play a game right now? Yes. Let's give it a shot, Brett. Okay. So... Of course, one thing you can say about cyber criminals, and you know, I've still got that mindset, is we like to do a lot of research. So with this research, I knew that you were going to be coming on to talk to me about this. I took the opportunity of searching for you to see if you had any unclaimed property in the state of California. And what I found was, uh -oh. I found a PayPal account dating back to 2008 in the, the amount of $1,232 from an address in Torrance, California. Now, I'm, I don't think there's many Dean Nichols out there, and I'm pretty sure that's you that I found. What do you think? Um, yeah, I'm sure that is probably me, and I'm hoping that you haven't taken the money and deposited into your own account. Well, funny you should say that, because I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's $1,232. Dean doesn't know that it's there. Now, I'm not going to do that, but this criminal mindset that I've got, I'm like, you know, Dean doesn't know it's there. So what I, what I did, of course, is I went to Ben Verified. I pulled your background check to verify that the address was associated with you, and it was. So, of course, I know it's your money. But uh, the state of California, they've got, they, they've, got this whole unclaimed property thing expedited now. So any claims, they try to settle those claims within 14 days, either by sending out a paper check or by doing a direct deposit. So what I'm thinking is, is there's a few techniques that I could use to try to get the money that, that's rightfully yours that you don't know, well, you know about it now, but you didn't know about it. I could use a few techniques. The first technique, and, and walk me through this so that, so that we can try to educate these, these state treasurer's offices on what they're doing wrong, how a criminal would work, and what they actually need to be doing to stop this type of fraud. So my first thing is, is maybe I could go to TLO, which is TransUnion Skip Tracing Software. I could pull up a, for $25, I can buy your TLO report Sometimes it's, it comes with a scan of your actual ID. So I could use the scan of that ID. I could submit that to the state of California along with a forged utility bill because they want something to, to, to link that, the recipient's address to the person's ID that I'm, I'm uh, submitting as well. So I could submit a forged utility statement along with a scan of your ID to try to get that through. And it should go through. I mean, 
right? As long as I as long as I obey the four security protocols they've got in place, which is the email, the velocity that's being submitted, the IP address, and the browser version. Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to encourage you to do anything criminal, but I would think <laughs> that, that based on the things I've learned about um, this and, and things you know about this, is I would think that, that would be what we call a soft target. I think, yeah. Absolutely. Right. So and that's if, obviously and, why and obviously what would stop that is is if if they had an identity identity verification service implemented you know, that was looking at liveness detection that was able to see you know whether it was a scan or or what have you that that would stop that specific technique dead in its tracks at that point yeah and if nothing else it would be a strong strong deterrent for that fraudster and they would probably as you know look for softer targets than, than that one right and for any state that had that kind of sophistication in their online identity, they probably could move to a handful of other states that might be slower to adopt those kind of security measures that would sure. be softer targets for you. But I would and, and that's exactly what I would do. If I if I knew a state treasurer's office had a verification service, I, I I would certainly know that I couldn't do that at that point because you'd guys your service specifically asks for the selfie as well. I wouldn't be able to do a selfie because my ugly mug would be there. Which brings me up to the the second technique if if whatever is going on say that say my second technique is okay i pull the tlo report it doesn't have a scan of your id so i have to have a fake id now as you say i'm not i'm not about to use my own face on the id i'm going to want to use somebody else's there's a website called secondisolution.ch of course some people out there, some unschooled people may think that .ch stands for China, not me. I think that .ch stands for cha-ching. So over there, I can buy a fake driver's license, just to scan the photo. I can buy the fake driver's license with someone else's picture on it for 50 bucks. For another 30 bucks, I can have them take a selfie with that. Of course, what you're, what you're saying is that you guys have the the liveness detection so this just the static selfie would still be flagged with that right that's absolutely correct we know right away that that's a, a um a picture of a picture that's being shown as opposed to a, a real selfie and and okay. the liveness detection check would also fail because we say this is not a there's no changes in the micro expressions between in that three second remember in that three second period where we're taking that selfie there's literally hundreds and hundreds of frames that we're taking and if every one of those frames is identical and there's no changes in the facial expression, there's no change in the face, we know right away that this is a picture or a video and not a real selfie. So you know, you, you fail you, on, on both of them. You, you bring a pretty good point up there too. Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I blog a lot as well. One of the blogs that I wrote recently was this fraudster that's in Atlanta. Uh, I was actually up, she, she contacted me. I, I was in Chicago when she contacted me and she said that she wanted to go legal. So my ignorant ass, what I do is when I get back to Birmingham, I get in my truck and I drive to Atlanta in order to see her to try to help her, you know, achieve this, this want that she has of being legal. Well, I got there and of course she had no intention of trying to follow the law. She's actually breaking the law in front of me. And one of the things she did is she, uh, she's defrauding one of these, uh, these cash apps that are on, you know, that you can use. And there's, there's several of them out. Square owns one, Stripe has one, PayPal has one, the, the banking institutions have one as well. And uh, what she did was she's got a stolen ID. She takes the stolen ID because there's a verification that, that goes on when you're using this app. 
so she takes the ID. She she uses one cell phone and, and takes a snapshot when the when the when the application asks for verification. It asks for a snapshot of the ID. So she takes a snapshot of the stolen ID, and then it asks for a selfie. So this is what this girl does. She gets another cell phone out of her purse. She pulls up this person's Facebook page. She looks for an HD photo that's on the Facebook, and then. She uses the sec the first cell phone that initially uh, that's asking for verification. She uses that first cell phone. She's got the second cell phone that has that person's Facebook page, and she takes a snapshot of that photo that's on the Facebook page, and it passed verification for that specific uh, uh, payment app. Um, so I'm assuming, and again, you guys have got this liveness detection. You're looking for these micro changes in, in expression and everything else. If even with something like that, and certainly state treasurer's offices aren't even that that advanced, but something that like that would be caught immediately at that point, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. And what's interesting about liveness detection is becoming a real thing because of scenarios just like that, where people are using essentially pictures of pictures, in this case, a picture of a Facebook page, and trying to pawn that off as themselves, as part of the selfie. What's interesting about this whole category is, is NIST, you're, you're probably familiar with you know, yes. the National Institute of Standards or Technologies. Um, they have different levels of, of liveness detection. And they have three core levels. And, and this is what, if, if you're a, you know, a state office, uh, treasurer's office, you, you should look for this. Level one means, can your liveness detection uh, tell for a picture from a real selfie? Right. That's level one certification. That's the basic stuff. That's table stakes, right? Level two is, can you detect if someone's using a video or wearing a mask? Because there's forms of uh, liveness detection where I could get a mask of you, fairly realistic. Absolutely. Um, and and there's even programs out there that where you can create deep fakes with just a few clicks. I could take your picture and I could insert my eyes over your eyes and have, if it asked me to move my eyes left, I could do that. And it looks like, just like I'm Brett. Um, and, and so better liveness detection solutions will be able to, to detect that Level three, which actually there's very few companies that, not, there's no new companies that have actually, I think, got this level of certification, is if you remember um, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. Yes. Where he, where he rips off that synthetic mask that looks identical, like, you know, the Queen of England or whoever it was. Right, right. Um, those ones, it's very difficult for virtually any company to, to uh, really to determine that level of sophistication. But frankly, if you can find a solution that can at least is level one and ideally level two certified with liveness detection, then you know you've got a good chance of making sure that you're not going to be spoofed by a picture or by a deep fake video. That's the second te technique that I would use. And again, you know, my, my entire point of, of talking to you and bringing you on is that, hey, you know, that the security that these state treasurer's offices are using now is pretty easy to bypass. And just a tool like you guys have pretty much stops a lot of this stuff dead in its tracks. And so, of course, the, the last one that I would have, the, the last technique I would mention is, okay, so I can't use a stolen ID with, with their actual picture. Um, of course, services like like Second Eye Solutions, while they take the static picture, they don't take a, a live video of that or anything else like that. Plus, it's a fake ID, which your, your algorithms and things like that, are, it's pretty easy to identify where the human eye would pass with the computer algorithms, it would catch something like that. So I guess the third thing, the third technique that I would, would mention would be, okay, so 
you know, I'm going through the unclaimed property files, especially for the state of California, because why not pick on California? So I'm going through the state of California's unclaimed property files, and I find that whale, that big fish in that pond that's got, you know, $4 million in an account. Well, I'll tell you, Dean, for $4 million, I might be persuaded to use my own face on an ID. So I create this fake ID. I take, you know, I take as much possible time as I can to come up with as best of a fake ID as I possibly can. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I take care of the email address. I take care of the, the velocity, the IP address is covered. I want that $4 million so bad that I've even went to the state of California and opened up a drop address because I want it to match. So I, I do that. And then the, the selfie is there. I, I do the liveness selfie as, as well. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that, that the way Jumio does with their algorithms and things like that, it still flags it as, as a fake ID. And at that point, it's, it's captured. Whereas if they didn't have that, and they don't have that at state treasurer's offices, you know, something like that would certainly, would certainly go through without a problem. Yeah, and I, I can't speak to state treasurer's office. I would like to think for claims that are, you know, over a million or even over 50,000 or 25,000, right. there's additional um, security checks that they have on their back end. And I, I got to believe that they would do some uh, some security checking. I think at the minimum, doing what we do to make sure that the ID is in fact authentic, th that the person behind that is real, and that the person's picture um, in the selfie matches the picture on the ID is, is table stakes. I would also argue and, and the, here's where they might need to leverage some other technologies, but you know, is to figure to make sure for a claim of that value that maybe you're also asking for a utility bill. Maybe you're asking for some other forms of identification that can help corroborate that Brett is in fact Brett, or in this case, you're, you're assuming you're me, um, th that all those things tick and tie. And so I think in most cases, most claims, I, I think would probably be on the magnitude of less than 10K. And I think going through the, the steps we talked about, you're going to take care of probably 90, 95% of the fraud that's currently happening. Right. And I, I would agree with you. If claims, I, you're going to have to step below. Right. And I would agree with you. If I were actually ahead, targeting right. these companies, what I would look for is I would look for unclaimed property in the one to $3,000 range. I would never go past that because of the security would pop. I would assume it would certainly pop in after, you know, a couple to $3,000. So I'm trying to look at, at just that, that segment of unclaimed property where the security is not great, but you know, the, the, the amounts are still worth it to a fraudster to try to, to obtain at that point. So, you know, it's not worth it for a fraudster to get, you know, 50 or a hundred dollars. It's, it's, he's looking for, thousand, two thousand, three thousand at that point. Right. Um, one of the things I wanted to, wanted to ask you about, and that, I think that covers that. I really appreciate you, you talking to us about that simply because I, I think that state offices really do need to be using these types of tools. If you look at the four things that you mentioned that, that most of them are, are saying that they look at, I mean, those are really rudimentary. Fraudsters have, have been able to get past those things for a decade. For a decade, they've been able to get past right. that. So, you know, if you're using that as your security, it's pretty worthless. And that's what I say in my presentations all the time is, you know, we need a layered approach to security. We need to understand that fraudsters use the old school techniques and the new, new school techniques, and they're continuing to improve as they go along. One of the things that, uh, that I kind of wanted to ask you about is, you know, it, certainly to the human eye, fake driver's licenses and documents 
are good enough now that they pass. A human cannot tell just by looking at a document, even if they've got the real, a real copy of a document beside of them, they can't tell just by the human eye that it's fraudulent. Um, right. And what we're seeing, and I don't know how long how long that actually is going to take, but we're seeing better and better quality documents appear. And I, I don't know if it'll ever get to the point where a fake document is on a one-to-one basis of a fraudulent document. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and, and what companies like Jumio are, are doing to prepare for those better documents that, that are coming as time goes on. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, first of all, I should point out that the whole process of what we're talking about, where you're taking the ID, the selfie, the liveness check, all that takes um, less, than, less than a minute for okay. us to do that. And, and we work with some of the largest banks on the planet. We've worked with some of the largest sharing econ- economy companies. So this technology isn't um, that advanced. I mean, it is cutting edge. We're using cutting edge AI and machine learning and biometrics to do all of that heavy lifting. Sure. Um, but the technology is here today and it's being used more and more. Um, it's considered a, pretty much a best uh, practice uh, in the case of, um, by Gartner even, to use Good. that form of what they call identity proofing. The, the other comment I want to make is that um, uh, when it comes to these, these IDs, we would never argue that you should only look at an ID and an ID by itself in a vacuum. You should always be corroborating it with something else. In sure. our case, we're corroborating it with a, a selfie and with liveness detection. So you guys I, do I have, and sorry to interrupt time, you, but you guys... I think your point is a valid one, that the, the IDs are going to get such high quality. Yeah. Right. So, so what I was saying is, is that... You know, you, you you mentioned it yourself. There, it's not only just the ID. So you guys are even with your within your own your your own company. There, you're using a kind of a layered approach. You're looking for the liveness detection. You're looking for all these other things in relation to that. Correct, correct. And the way Gartner treats it, uh, you know, the analyst firm is they say you really want to look for a variety of fraud signals, right? So we're looking right now. We're looking at the ID and the selfie, but we're also looking down the road with machine learning and AI to incorporate things like IP information from the phone. If people are doing this from the phone or from their desktop, every desktop and every you know, smartphone has an IP address. Um, by itself, it doesn't mean much, but when put together, it forms a picture, right? So again, if you're trying to claim this, um, uh, my, my, um, my claim in, in Torrance, California for $1,200, uh, the IP will tell us, again, yes, you can be, that can be spoofed, but it's, it's still another fraud signal we can look at to make sure that everything lines up. There's many other fraud signals that we're looking to incorporate within to our service that as fraudsters keep upping their game, we obviously need to keep upping our game. And the way we're doing that is not only improving the biometrics and the, the liveness detection, but also incorporating additional fraud signals into the mix. Every fraud signal gives us a little bit higher level of assurance. The thing that I did want to point out is, and I kind of touched on it on the beginning, all the current ways that, that these um, state treasurer's office are looking at, which are very much old school, they don't, what we'd refer to as a high level of assurance. They're all low levels of assurance of, of is that person really that person? All because someone has a certain email address or an IP address, that's a very low level of assurance that that is Brett Johnson. As soon as you bring, you, you leverage what we call a trust anchor, like a, a government issued ID and a corroborating selfie, that, you know, comparing the selfie to the picture on the ID, now you're dealing with much higher levels of assurance, identity right, assurance, right. than just 
you know, I mean, we might as well be asking them for their mother's maiden name or their first car. All that information likewise is on the dark web. So these are all old schools, traditional forms of identity proofing that are no longer relevant, right? It, it, in the world of the, today's fraudster, which is far more advanced. But even the stuff that we're talking about can be implemented by any state treasurer's office with, within several weeks. Um, at, I mean, when we're talking less than a couple bucks per transaction and have that level of assurance to know that, hey, before we pay out on that $1,200 claim, maybe it's worth spending a couple bucks to make sure that that Brett is really Brett. It might be. <laughs> because at some point, you know, the, the, the yeah. rightful owner of the unclaimed property may find out they had an account there. They would go to get their money. Of course, the state treasurer's office has paid it out to a criminal. And at that point, the state treasurer's office is going to have to reimburse the losses of the actual victim. So, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and Dean, I cannot tell you how much I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about that. Um, any final words to not just to state treasurer's offices, but to anyone out there, any company or organization out there who, who doesn't have these types of ID verification services implemented and what you would say to them about that? Yeah, I, th I think it's a growing problem. It's being admitted by the state treasurer's office. They have posts internally saying how we need to share best practices. My, my, my parting comment was, as you think about best practices, do some research in the market, um, look at some Gartner reports, and discover how identity proofing has evolved over the last few years. And you, you'll quickly discover that what they call document or ID-based forms of um, identity proofing, along with some corroborating information, like you know, ideally biometric information, whether it be a selfie, is really the way to go. And it helps bind the, uh, the digital identity to the real world identity of the people. And if you're looking to get to a much higher level of assurance, and sleep a little easier at night knowing that you're paying claims out to the rightful owners of that property that's just frankly a smarter simpler um and a better way um to do that kind of uh identity proof dean i could not agree more dean nichols of jumio thank you so much for coming on the show thanks brad Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anglerfish Podcast. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H dot com. Other than saying hello, feel free to email questions, comments, concerns, or even show suggestions. I respond to every single email I get. And please, tell your friends about us. Rate and review Anglerfish wherever you can. As Anglerfish continues to navigate the dark waters of our online lives, remember, stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.